welcome back to the JW Forwardcast, the show that helps former Jehovah's Witnesses and other former members of high control groups and cults to rebuild their lives, take back control of their destiny, and become the people they were always supposed to be. So we've got a fantastic episode lined up for you today. Uh, Alice Cheshire and I will be discussing the blueprint for happiness. We'll be analysing the things that tend to make people happy. We'll be showing how, in many ways, the Jehovah's Witness religion provided that for us, and how, when we left that religion, we lost those things. And so why it's really important to identify what those things are and get them built back into our lives. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. But first, a little housekeeping. So first of all, um, I've actually been gallivanting uh, around the internet a little bit and appearing on other podcasts. So um, if you're curious to see what I've been up to recently, you can check out the Heretics Corner podcast. I actually had a great time with these guys. Um, I'm very thankful for, to them for having me on. Um, I was able to discuss kind of what it's like to be uh, a Jehovah's Witness and what it's like to leave and some of the issues that face you uh, when you leave that particular religion. And we kind of compared notes because... So the Heretics Corner is um, a podcast which is run by ex-Muslims. So we kind of compared some of the similarities and differences in the XJW experience and the ex-Muslim experience. Um, and I had a really great time with those guys. I'd really encourage you to check that podcast out. You can find them on Twitter at Heretics Corner. And the podcast is on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and search for Heretics Corner, uh, you'll find me on there. They've also got some, they've got some really other good guests. There's, um, for example, a great podcast with Sarah Hader, who's um, an ex-Muslim um, who I really admire. Uh, and also Yasmin Mohammed. Um, who's another ex-Muslim who, um, whose story of, of leaving her particular religion is um, by turns hair-raising and inspiring. So really, guys, check those podcasts out. And uh, yeah, follow them on Twitter. And once again, huge thanks to those guys for having me. And it's entirely possible you might see them turning up on the forward cast because one of the things I want to do with this show is spread the wings a little bit so that we're always going to be talking about the XJW experience. But I'd also like to compare notes with um, exes from other faiths. So I'm hoping to get ex-Muslims, ex-Scientologists, ex-Mormons um, onto the show because rebuilding your life after you leave a religion, um, you know, it's not just an XJW thing. I think there's lessons and coping strategies and, you know, helpful tools and tips that can come from exes of all faiths. And so hopefully I'll be getting uh, the guys from Heretics Corner on the podcast soon. And hopefully you'll be seeing um, guests from lots of other um, ex-religions as well. So stay tuned for that. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to some new patrons who've been very kind to support uh, the Forwardcast on the Patreon page. So here's a huge thank you from myself and everyone else on the Forwardcast to Mark Johns, David Schmidt, Russ Cole, and Ray Mansfield. Thank you ever so much for your kind support. It helps us to reach further and do more, and we're very grateful for it. Uh, and if you'd like to become uh, a patron of the Forwardcast, you can sign up on patreon.com. Uh, you get lots of cool extras, including access to Ask Me Anythings. And what's quite relevant at the moment, um, if you sponsor us at the $10 level, 
I will send you a birthday and a Christmas card. Christmas is coming up. I know for many XJWs, actually including myself, it can be a little lonely. And our Christmas shelf doesn't have that many cards on it because most of our friends and family aren't talking to us anymore. So this is our way of trying to make Christmas just that little bit brighter. So if you support us at the $10 level, in addition to all the other cool perks and benefits you'll get, you'll be getting a Christmas card from Covert Fade. I promise it'll be a nice one. Additionally, we have a new review on iTunes. Thanks so much to Made in Dagenham, who's left us the following five-star review. If you are struggling to make life normal after exiting the Jehovah's Witnesses, this podcast helps you see how your personality and thought process were hijacked and how to make life better without JW rules. So Made in Dagenham, thank you so much for that review. If anyone else would like to leave us a review, please go right ahead. That's one way you can help the podcast to grow. iTunes algorithms and podcast uh, Podbean algorithms and all of the kind of automated software on the podcast hosting sites works on the number of reviews we get and the number of ratings and the number of likes. For example, YouTube works very much on the number of likes and comments and subscribers we get to promote um, the podcasts higher up people's lists. So the more reviews we get, the more likes and stars, the more likely other people are to encounter the podcast. And that's our mission really, is to reach as many people as possible and help them as much as we can. So that's one way you can really help us to grow. Um, one way you can help support the podcast is to drop us a review, a like or a star rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to the show on. And it really is hugely appreciated by myself and Alice. So that brings us to the end of the housekeeping. So without any further delay, let's get into our episode where Alice Cheshire and I discuss the blueprint for happiness. So welcome back to JW Forwardcast. Uh, I'm Covert Fade, and today we're going to get all psychological on your ass. Mm. Uh, I'm here with former Jehovah's Witness and professional life coach, Alice Cheshire. Hello! How have you been, Alice? I'm rather well. I'm having one of those life is good sort of days. Oh, it's nauseating so, when people... Are yeah, like, I am actually infuriatingly happy today. I have to apologise in advance. Yeah, I'll do my best to try and bring her mood down, uh, <laughs> listeners. But yes, uh, Alice is infuriatingly happy at the moment, so uh, which is good, because we're all aiming to get to that stage where we're all infuriatingly happy. Yeah, so. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the goal, right? And we're going to come and talk about this... One of the, I, I really am looking forward to this episode because we're we're talking about happiness, yeah. and that's the goal. That's where we're all trying to get to. No one wants to be fucking miserable in their life, so let's all be happy people. But we're going to mm. talk about how we actually do that. Absolutely, because what we're talking about today, when, when we say the word happiness, when people talk about being happy, that's something that has a lot of different connotations. We're not talking about oh, I have an ice cream, so I'm happy, mm. or it's a beautiful sunny day, so I'm happy, or. I'm not actively on fire at the moment, so I'm happy. <laughs> Although all those things are important. Well, those things are important, especially not actively being... Dear listeners, if you are currently actively on fire, please see to that as soon as you can. Um, but we're talking about um, the measurement of subjective happiness. And now, Alice, what, are we talk what does that mean? Yeah, so this is a really interesting concept. It's, it's something uh, that psychologists variously you know, refer to as lots of things, but the, the, one, one of the, the, the key ways they refer to it is subjective well-being. And this comes from a branch of psychology called positive psychology. So what that means is... What is it that makes us happy? And it's not looking at things from the absence of bad stuff. So it's not saying we're going to be happy if we 
don't have stress and we don't have massive debt mm. and we don't and we aren't lonely mm. it's saying what are we going to be happy if we have what are the positive things that we're going to have mm. so subjective well-being key term there subjective mm-hmm. it's not really something that i mean you could try and measure it in certain ways there are some sort of objective things you can look at but when you ask someone are you happy yeah. it's automatically going to be a subjective response because it's just based on their own personal narrative it's based on themselves mm. you know how they're feeling at any particular moment mm. but what's really interesting is that in studies that um psychologists have done this term of subjective well-being there are a lot of common denominators when people report that they are subjectively happy they're happy in their lives mm. there tend to be a lot of common denominators that these people have in their lives that seems to contribute to this subjective happiness and it's things that they have rather than things that they are lacking so it's, it's not that they're lacking the bad stuff it's that they have the good stuff and that works quite well with um, the theme of this podcast is to identify when we're helping um, former jehovah's witnesses rebuild their lives one of the things we like to do is identify traits mm. that have been successful mm. um, in doing that um, so this is going to be interesting so psychologists is obviously a huge field of study but they've identified certain things that tend to contribute towards mm. people having that state of subjective happiness mm. and this doesn't necessarily mean that they're a hundred percent happiness and they couldn't be any happier but it means that if you've got these things functioning in your life you're more likely when asked this question to say yeah i'm actually feeling pretty good about things mm. right now yeah so we're going to look at these points in the upcoming forward cast and the other thing we're going to do is look at how these specifically relate to XJWs, because as what we're going to see is some some of these traits were probably present in your Jehovah's Witness life, and then they vanished when you left. And this is why they're important, because once we know that these things have been taken away from us, we can put them back in some functional form. But it also helps us to explain why some people, we, we kind of look at some wit, you know some witnesses who are still in and we might think, well, why, why don't they leave? Mm. And some witnesses even feel happy. And maybe we actually felt a certain degree of happiness when mm. we were Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, that's because the Jehovah's Witness organization was actually supplying, although maybe sometimes in a slightly toxic way, mm. some of these key points that contribute to this human psychological happiness scale Mm. so that's the other thing we're going to look at and it's also really interesting because a lot of people you know especially when you're out when you've seen the man behind the curtain Mm. we all and and, you know i've done this and i know that that i I bet many of many of our listeners have we look at people who are still in and we think why are you still there and also why did you ever join Mm. you know why did you decide that this was the place that you were going to to feel happy and actually when we look at these various points that we're going to come on to, we can see that there are direct links. There are things that the organisation provides that tick so many of these boxes. And so people from an outside, perhaps who were unhappy or vulnerable, mm. they see these things available to them in the organisation and that's a reason to join. And then once you're in, once you've got all those things, it's so much harder to leave. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to run through these points now. So um, um, what we'd encourage you to do is have a look at your own life and your own goals and have a think about how you can best apply what we're talking about. Um, So what's point number one? Mm. So just to give a bit of a heads up, there are seven points overall 
Some, I think, are more relevant than others. So a couple, mm. I think, we're just going to kind of mention, you know, just to be um, uh, to be thorough and go through them, all of them. But there are a couple that aren't necessarily so relevant because they're a little bit more general. But there are definitely some that I think are absolutely spot on. And the first one we're going to talk about is social cohesiveness. Okay. And what I mean by that is being part of a social network and feeling belonging. Hmm. Now, that's interesting because if you were to think back to your JW life, and admittedly this isn't 100% true for all XJWs because I know some people felt very isolated and they, they were outside of all the JW cliques when they were in. But I think I remember my life as Jehovah's Witness, I had a real sense of social belonging. Mm. I had so many friends and, and they were really good friendships and we got on really well. Um, you know, I, I had friends who I considered, you know, brothers I'd die for. Mm. Um, and I had a real sense of social belonging, and I felt very happy about that. Um, and of course, what happens when you leave is that all of those friends go away. And the one of the reasons why Watchtower likes to say, oh, people who leave the Jehovah's Witnesses aren't happy. Well, yeah, one of the reasons why people who leave go through a rough time is because you take away everybody they've ever known and everybody they've ever loved. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly... People are then unhappy. Mm. So, <clears throat> understanding that, I mean, what was your experience, Alice? Mm. Did you have that similar sensation when you were in? I, I don't know what your kind of your your XJW experience was of friendship groups. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, so I grew up in in the religion, and. I was never, don't get me wrong, there, there was the popular crowd, you know, the okay. really cool popular crowd. And I was never really a part of the sort of very cool popular crowd. But I always had a group around me that I could do stuff with. And that, like you say, you know, as far as I was concerned, they were they were my, my sisters, my brothers, not just in mm. the truth, but, you know, real family relationships. And that's kind of borne out by the fact that a lot of the time now, when I'm talking to people now about stuff that I did when I was a kid and a teenager mm. when I was growing up, a lot of it is, oh, well, you know, we went on this trip here and we went away for the weekend there and we went on mm. that holiday and I remember that time when this happened. And I have so many stories about feeling part of a friendship group and so many great memories mm. of, of, you know, of friends. And, and, and the challenge with this, of course, is that now, once we're outside of the, the religion, we can look back on those friendships and say, yes, well, they were brilliant friendships to a point mm. because they were conditional. Yeah. They were conditional as long as we both believed the same thing. We both lived our lives a certain way. As soon as that went away, then that friendship was terminated. Mm. But that doesn't change the fact. And I think it would be sad to try and take away that fact that it was a happy time. As far as friendships go, as far as social inclusion goes, you know, maybe if you've got a big family, you know, big family gatherings and get togethers. And I remember, you know, sometimes the, 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 the congregations would do big get togethers and somebody would put on a little skit and somebody mm. would do a play and somebody would do an awful dance and, you know, just <laughs> stupid things like that. But it's that sense of belonging. Yeah. And I, I think it's not just about that sort of immediate friendship circle, but it's that wider social network, that sense of belonging, of being part of something. It was that sensation that there was this wide, vast group of um, worldwide people of whom you were a part, and you yeah. could. I, I, I had a feeling that I could move to any country in the world and I have loads of friends waiting to meet me. You did. Um, you had a ready-made yeah. friendship group wherever you went. 
And this explains why a lot of people end up joining cults and high-control organisations. It's actually a technique called love bombing. Mm. Um, and if, you, if you've done any kind of reading of the literature on high-control groups and cults, um, one, the kind of, one of the seminal works on this is Combating Cult Mind Control, a uh, book by Stephen Hassan, who, if, you haven't, if you're an XJW and you haven't read that, you need to read that book, because that's the manual that explains what happens to you. Mm. But what often happens is people who are... Because obviously many Jehovah's Witnesses are born in, but many people who join, they might be people who don't have much of a community, or maybe they don't have many friends, or maybe they have friendships, but they're not good friendships. Mm. And then they start to study with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and suddenly they're surrounded by all these people who are being gen- you know, loving and friendly and happy. Mm. And, and in the defense of the individual witnesses, the individual witnesses often are being genuinely friendly and happy. And I know I was when I saw Bible studies come along. I genuinely got to make an effort to know them. And I genuinely, you know, I was being genuine in my efforts to be friendly. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't also an aspect of behavioural control to it. And that doesn't mean that all Jehovah's Witnesses are doing that. Because as we know, there is a certain level of kind of mandated Mm. control to the way the JWs operate. But it explains why so many people who are maybe vulnerable and lonely end up joining groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. Because suddenly this key aspect of subjective happiness is provided for them in spades. Yeah. Now, we've said why, you know, this. we had this when we were Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, we lost it when, it was, when we were taken away. So the key thing is getting this back. Mm. So let's talk some suggestions. I've got a few suggestions as to how we can start rebuilding this. But Alice, why don't you go first and fire off a couple of ideas for people who are wanting to rebuild this? Yeah, and just one more point to add insofar as the understanding goes, because we always talk about knowledge is power. Knowledge is always power. And in order to be able to move forward, we need to understand what happened to us as well. Mm. So the other thing to bear in mind is that when we were in the cult, we automatically had friends Yes. And what that meant, actually, is that a lot of the time we didn't need to work at it or we didn't need to create those social bonds from scratch because we already had this automatic thing that we had in common. Mm. And so what that means then is then when we're out of the religion and we're trying to form social bonds, and I see this so often, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, posts on the XJW uh, Reddit forum, a lot of them go along these lines, I don't know how to relate to people. Mm. I don't know how to make friends. How do you make friends? Because you were in this world where people were automatically your friend. Which had its dark side, actually, because well, yeah. there's a whole other aspect of this, the kind of almost like, I'm a JW, so you have to be my friend. Yeah. Which also ended up, you you had to spend a lot of time with some people who either weren't on your wavelength or were actually yeah. quite toxic. Yeah. But sorry, didn't well, to interrupt. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely spot on. So the first thing to bear in mind is, okay, this is going to be weird. It's going to be odd. You're going to feel uncomfortable. As we've spoken about before on this podcast, though, growth comes out of feeling uncomfortable. If we're pushing our comfort zone, if we are doing something new, we're going to feel uncomfortable. So I think the first thing to recognise, as ever, with all this stuff that we talk about, is it's okay to feel uncomfortable about this stuff. Starting over, making a new friendship group, having those social interactions is going to be weird. So when you're trying to do it, whether it's at work or in a group or whatever it is, and you're feeling to yourself, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to interact. I'm feeling really on my own. I'm feeling really out of, out of my comfort zone. Just give yourself a reassurance. That's okay. Mm. 
That's how it's going to be. That you means know, it's working. That means it's working. It's like yeah. if, you, if you go to the gym, if you leave the gym and you don't feel tired, it's not working. Mm. If you leave the gym and you feel tired and your muscles ache a little bit, it's working. Mm. And so basically you feeling uncomfortable while you're doing this is a sign that it's working. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple of suggestions as to, obviously I'm not exactly a guru on how to make friends, but what I would suggest is if you're looking to start a new friendship group, depending where you are in the world, um, think about all the interests you have as a person. The things you're interested in doing, are you interested in football, sports? I mean, there may be some interests that you always wanted to explore but couldn't when you're a JW. Well, now you can explore them. You, you always wanted to do Kung Fu. Great. Go out there and sign up for some Kung Fu classes mm. or some swimming classes or some anything, whatever you're interested in. Because the chances are that will bring you into contact with other people who have that interest in common. Mm. Now, many of them may not be people you want to be friends with, but there might be some people in there who that you've got that interest in common and that can start striking up a friendship. Mm. Um, so that, and the, if you, depending on where you are in the world, there are some apps like meetup.com mm. um, that are spe- specifically engineered to let you meet other people who are interested mm. in sewing or classic cinema or physics or... Um, I, I li- literally anything and everything. And um, what's what's really amazing about Meetup because I've I've done a few different meetups through this this website Meetup.com. And what's really great about it is that when you go on these meetups, I would say over half of the people there are there on their own. Mm. It's not like it's a big clicky sort of um, uh, social gathering where everybody knows each other. Everyone else is in the same boat as you. Yeah. And that's quite heartening, actually, that you can drop yourself into a group. It's organized by someone else. Everybody has a base level of interest. So you Mm. know that if, you know, if the shit completely hits the fan, at least you can talk about knitting or kung fu or Mm. whatever the, you know, the, the purpose of the meetup is. But you don't have to go worrying that you're not going to have anyone to talk to because yeah. most of the people there are in exactly the same boat and they're also i mean also people that are in the same kind of mindset of i'd like to meet and chat to people i'd exactly. like to make new friends yeah. and i'd like to expand my social yeah. circle now the, one of the other things you can do is you probably are employed i know everyone's situation is different but if you work at the office well you spent all those years as a jw turning down invites to the christmas party and the birthday drinks and the after office parties and all of that stuff Start accepting those invites because these are people you already know. And actually, for a lot of JWs, we probably got on quite well with some of the people we worked with. In fact, maybe one of the reasons you left the religion was that you were spending time with working with people you liked and couldn't square the circle that these were somehow evil people who had to be destroyed. So maybe there's already a half friendship there. You have a good working relationship. You have good social banter with them while you're while you're at work. Well, the next time, or maybe even instigate it yourself. Say, hey, guys, who fancies going to the, to the pub? Or who fancies going to the deli for lunch? Mm. Or who fancies doing this? Or just maybe start to see if maybe your work circle, because many people actually get friends through work. Um, the friends and partners, apparently those are two things, major aspects that people use to actually, you know, work is a major supplier of both. Yeah, and what I really love about what you just said there. I loved all of it, but what I particularly loved was when you said start you said start saying yes. Yeah. Start saying yes to things because you've spent so many years of your life saying no. And this can almost be an exercise for you. Challenge yourself 
But the next invite you get, no matter what mm. it is, okay, within reason, I mean, you know, use your common <laughs> sense, but within reason, the next social invitation that you get, even if it's something that you don't think is particularly your boat, mm. say yes yeah. and go. And if it works out and you have a great time, great. And how many times, we all have been there where we haven't really been feeling it and we've gone along and we didn't really want to and we've come along at the end of the night and thought, actually, I had a really good time tonight. Totally unexpected. So start saying yes to things. And at the end of the day, if it's a total disaster and you have an awful time, well, hey, you've got another interesting story to add to your reams Mm. of interesting stories. But that might be a really good challenge, particularly if we're shy, if we're socially awkward. Just challenge yourself. The next reasonable request i'm not talking like you know the weird bloke at work who invites you to meet him in the middle of the forest at midnight that's not what i'm talking about but the next reasonable request that you get from work even if you don't want to go work or social group or whatever it might be say yes challenge yourself and do it so one thing point i thought would be useful to bring up because sometimes i think and i see this on reddit and other occasions people think oh i'm going to um I'm going to make friends with all XJWs and I'm going to, that's going to be my social circle. Well, that's great. If you're friendly and you want to make friends with people who've been through the same relation, you know, the same experience with you, that's, that's probably a good idea. You'll, you'll probably meet some people you'll, you'll have a lot to relate to. But don't limit yourself to that um, because there's an entire world out there. So as JWs, we're very used to limiting our social circles. We can only be friends with JWs because only JWs understand us. And there's a danger then in thinking, well, I can only be friends with XJWs because only XJWs understand us. Well, no, I would suggest, I mean, the two things that obviously Alice mentioned there, you know, obviously keep your, be aware of your boundaries and don't feel obligated to let toxic people into your life, but make friends with everybody Mm. um, from all walks of life Mm. because now you don't have the JW binders on anymore. So, be friendly with XJWs. Be friendly with people who don't even know what JWs are. Be friendly with the people at work. Be friendly with the people you you meet in other places. Just generally become sociable. Um, and that will... You're, you're, the new friendships you'll make, you'll probably never see them coming. But in the most unlikely places, you will probably meet the people who will be, you know, be the friends that 10 years from now you're sitting back somewhere chatting with just the way you were with the social circle that you left behind as JWs. But this is really important. Rebuilding that social circle um, is one of the key factors of happiness, according to you know all these different studies that have mm. been done. So don't neglect that. Yeah. Um, and I think what's really interesting about the XJW thing is, for many, many years, I didn't involve myself in the XJW community because I wanted to... Not, I didn't want to be defined by the fact that I was an XJW. Mm. Now, that was great to a certain extent, but I have to admit, when I first started my activism and I first started engaging with people who were XJWs, there was a wonderful catharsis about it. Mm. And also, being able to talk to somebody else who just gets what it, what it is, what mm. it's like to grow up in that cult. However, there comes a point where that becomes toxic because all you've got then is a feedback loop Mm. all you've got is you're hearing from the same people over and over again so really really key you know have the chats on reddit have the chats on twitter go along to an xjw meetup if you want to but make it a part of a wider strategy yeah make it one thing that you do and then have all the other things as well and the other point that i think is really interesting as well 
The XJW community is full of so many different people. Mm. Just because they're an XJW, you don't have to agree on everything. You don't have to like each other. Mm. We left a cult to get away from being told what to do and who to like and, and, and who to, to engage with. So, you know, it, it can be really, really tempting. And I know I've, I've done this definitely in the past to think that we're XJWs. We must agree and we must be friends. Mm. No. You get the freedom to choose your own friendship group. So if you don't want to engage with someone, don't. That's yeah. your choice. Well, essentially, ultimately, for many of us, we were all the people who we were going to be. We were all kind of taken and squished into the same mold. And as soon as that mold is removed, we all ideally go back to being who we should be. Mm. And some of those people would literally be like we have nothing in common, would never even speak to each other. Mm. And literally the only thing in common is we escaped a cult. And in every other aspect of our personality our outlook on life our politics our ideology everything else is completely polar opposite so expecting all xjw's to be our friends is just as crazy as expecting all jw's to be our friends when we were in the key is now you're your own individual it's a big wide beautiful world Mm. it's full of awesome people to meet and fantastic relationships to build so get out there and build them So, Alice, what's the next uh, point on the uh, subjective happiness list that we want to look at? So, the next thing we've got, this is something that people with a high level of subjective well-being tend to have, is that they tend to have a lack of negative emotion. So, they tend to only express or, or, you know, not all the time, we all get mad, we all get sad, Mm. we all get lonely you know at times but generally speaking they tend not to express or to feel negative emotions things like competitiveness things like jealousy things like hostility um they tend to focus on the positive emotions they tend to feel the positive emotions now the thing about this is there are some people in this world who naturally have that kind of personality they naturally are bubbly and happy and they've got this kind of Pollyanna complex, which actually I, is used a lot of the time as a negative. I don't think it's derogatory at all. I think it's wonderful mm. to have that Pollyanna, positive, happy outlook. But it's not something that comes naturally to everyone, but that doesn't mean that we can't train our brain to do it. Our brain is plastic and our brain learns. And what happens over a period of time is the neurons in our brain develop certain pathways. Mm. So if we allow ourselves constantly to see the negative or be jealous or always pick the fault or always see the bad side of things, then it becomes easier for our brain to do that because the the, the neurons and the pathways in our brain, it's essentially the path of least resistance. It's easier for our brain to act that way. But that doesn't mean that we can't retrain our brain. And it is possible... And even actually, when you know how to do it, it's doable Mm. to retrain our brain to see the positive emotions and to have the positive emotions. Mm. This this comes about, I know we've discussed this before on more than one occasion, but we've talked about mindset. Yeah. um, And how we kind of, the way we approach life and the way we kind of frame things can actually have a huge, um, a huge impact on how we feel about life. Um, I talk about... I think we've talked about gratitude as well. Mm. I've, I've spoken about, and I know you do as well, um, there's like a, I do a mindset journal in the morning. And this is a tool you've, you've mm. spoken about. And mm. um, 
in the morning I get up and I write down things I'm grateful for. I actually have a do- I actually have a journal that I use which has kind of got this stuff pre pre laden in and I actually put the um I forget the name I forget the brand of it, but I'll put it self-journal. in the show notes. Self journal. Yeah, you told okay. me the other day. Self journal. Yeah. Um self journal, that's it. So I'll put the link in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. But it, it, it saves it saves me time because it's got a lot of stuff already written out. Um but it kind of gets you into the mindset of thinking about what you're grateful for. And it makes you focus on your achievements for that day and the things that have gone forward. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it turns an otherwise awful day into a brilliant day with no problems. But what it does do is it just gives you that lift and helps you slightly reframe your perspective. I mean, when it comes to like gratitude and mindset, as as a life coach, Alice, how would you... Because part of the problem, I think, is that... I mean, as XJWs, when we were Jehovah's Witnesses, Watchtower does try and talk about a calm heart and staying calm and focusing on the good things. Um, and obviously, the, the 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 split side of that is it also encourages us to deal with in very unhealthier ways. With you know, don't make a fuss. Don't. Sometimes anger is justified, but Watchtower doesn't like to see mm, anger. Don't stand like up that. for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So there's there there are some good advice that comes from Watchtower, but there's so much bad advice as well. Um, and then obviously, as former Jehovah's Witnesses, we leave and we we are focused. We we're faced with all of this negative emotion coming from having left a cult that we now realize was a cult and then maybe the losses that were entailed to re- that were required to leave that cult um and we maybe stood here thinking you know almost predisposed to view view everything from a very negative mindset so alice as a life coach how would you start to coach people what suggestions would mm. you have to get them looking more at that positive mindset yeah. well i fundamentally believe that we all have the tendency if all things are equal we are positive people. And I absolutely believe that. Now, that doesn't mean that that's what everybody's experience is on a day-to-day basis because we all have stresses and strains. We've got, you know, perhaps, like you say, we're dealing with being shunned by our our friends and family. We're stressed. We're dealing with the fact that maybe we've been hoodwinked for many, many years, etc., etc. But all things being equal, we are generally positive people. And what I'm not saying there, obviously there are certain mental health um, diagnoses that make this harder mm. okay and as ever the caveat that we always give if there is any suggestion possibility of uh, you know a, a mental health issue go and get yourself some help I've said yeah. that before I will always say there's it. no substitute for professional help. absolutely yeah. but there are a couple of things so the first thing going back to what you just said which is a gratitude practice gratitude is one of the most powerful emotions that we can feel because Without, with, with almost no exceptions, there is never something that there is never a situation where we can't find something to be grateful for. Mm. If we're able to put a gratitude practice into our day, either using uh, a journal with prompts like the self journal, which is a really, really great journal. I've used that before. There are lots of other journals out there as well, which have prompts for you to do gratitude Mm. today i am grateful for and you write down three things or what I tend to do at the moment, I've got reminders on my phone. I have an alarm that goes off three times a day that reminds me to list out three things that I'm grateful for. And funnily enough, if I'm on my own, if I'm working in my office and I'm on my own, I actually yell those three things at the top of my voice. It's a little bit more difficult if you're out in public or you're on the bus because then people just look at, well, to be honest. Then we're, then we're going back to the mental health issue. Yeah, concept, well, I don't yeah. think people would even care anyway. But, you know, really focus on them. So, you know, If you've got your phone next to you right now, or maybe you're listening to this on your phone, grab your phone and put an alarm in for 10 o'clock in the morning tomorrow. 
repeating every single day, what are you grateful for? And at that moment, when that alarm goes off, I want you to list three things that you're grateful for. They could be big, they could be small. It could be, I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful for my freedom from the cult. It could be, I'm really grateful for this fucking awesome piece of chocolate cake that I'm eating right now. But whatever it is, I want you to feel it. I want you to to imagine that it's filling you up, this amazing feeling of Mm. gratitude. And then the other thing that I think is really, really useful insofar as getting rid of the negative and replacing it with the positive is pure brain dump journaling. And this goes back to what I was saying about all things being equal, we tend to be positive people but we obviously can find ourselves pulled down by stuff that's going on around us. So grab your journal, grab a pen, grab a nice pen that you like to write with and just start writing. And what will happen? And when you say, I don't know what to write, what the the hell do I write? Whatever comes to mind. If you need to write, I don't know what to write, that's okay. okay. Just keep spilling whatever's in your brain. And what you will notice, and this goes into a question that's frequently asked, which is how do I know when I'm done? Mm-hmm. you will know that you're done with your journaling because at some point something will shift even if you've been writing really negative stuff oh i had a really stressful day and i feel like i don't know where i'm going and i feel like my life has no purpose and blah 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 blah, blah. you need to keep writing mm-hmm. keep on writing because eventually something will change and your journaling will shift and you'll start saying but actually i think i know what i'm going to do about that and actually, I had a really good day the other day, and that made me feel really great. And da 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 da, and something will change. And you will know when you're done, when there's nothing left to say, because your journaling will suddenly have turned positive. Interesting. And ninety-nine percent of people, it takes some people longer to get there, but most people will go through that kind of turnaround just simply doing a brain dump of journaling. And always, always, always finish your journaling with listing three things you're grateful for. Cool. So if you're listening to us, there's your action plan right now. Right now, pick your phone up, put in that reminder, three things you're going to list that you're grateful for, and then start that start that process of journaling. Um, and and as, Alice, as Alice said, I mean, I, I sometimes, if it's a good day, I've got a lot of things to be grateful for. Sometimes on a bad day, all I can list is, well, I'm still breathing. But that's okay, because if you're still breathing, then you've still got time. And there's still options, and there's still things you can do. So it's all about completely re-gearing your mindset to not focus on, okay, what's, what's wrong? Focus on what's right, and what can I do? And what am I going to do? Because it's a lot, I've, I've found with this journaling and this gratitude mentality, it's actually about taking back power. Um, taking about power and your ability to change things to put things on the right track and also decide how you feel about it um so guys if you haven't done it already third reminder grab your phone put that reminder in so alice what's point number three on this list point number three is that people with a higher level of subjective well-being tend to have coping strategies okay so they tend to have some kind of go-to that enables them to cope with the day-to-day stresses and strains of life. So if you're a former Jehovah's Witness, you probably, when you were a JW, you had a number of coping strategies. And these coping strategies were probably, they probably worked, but they were also probably quite toxic. So think about it. You had throw your burden 
on Jehovah. Don't worry. Essentially, your coping strategy was it'll all be okay in the end because someone else, it's in this case specifically God, is going to sort it all out for you. And then you're going to have a paradise and all these problems are going to go away in the end. Now, in some ways, that's actually, and I remember this being very comforting to me when I was going through problems. And let's let's be honest, that's in some ways, it's a very comforting thing to say, don't worry, this, this kind of like big heavenly father is going to swoop in, he's going to take all your problems away, you can talk to him in prayer, and he'll take all your problems away, and it'll all be okay in the end. Now, in some ways, that is comforting, and that got me through some rough times. The reality is, as coping strategies go, that's horrifically toxic, because what it comes down to is relying on someone else to solve your problems for you. Now, in this case, you're relying on... Um, a, the God of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society to solve your problems, which is problematic in two ways. Because one, that's a long wait. That's a long wait for a train that don't come. Mm. And two, even if that, you know, even if he did exist, his solution to your problems is to murder everybody, and then maybe you get through Armageddon if you're lucky. So, in terms of coping strategies, it's not a great one, but it was there, and it probably helped you when you were a JW get through certain problems. When you leave. And this is actually something I see come up a lot from actually Ws. They feel like they've, they're now very afraid because they spent so much time relying on the fact that it would all be okay in the end, and this this higher power would solve all their problems, which they found comforting. And now they no longer believe that necessarily, and it can be quite terrifying. Um, well, what we need to do is take back control. We need to start getting our own coping strategies and our own coping me- mechanisms back into place. So, Alice, what are some coping mechanisms we can use to put into place of the old solution of just waiting on Jehovah to solve everything? Mm. So there are some... So it it depends on sort of the the, the stresses and strains that we're talking about. You know, at the end of the day, life is stressful. There's Mm. a lot going on. So from a a sort of more top-level-down point of view, something that loads and loads of people swear by is meditation. Mm. And there are some great apps that you can download. Headspace is one of the most popular ones. Um, we might have a bit of an aversion to meditation on the basis that it was frowned upon when we were, ba- we were JWs, you know, in the case that we somehow tapped in and allowed spirits and demons to enter our world. Mm. But, you know, don't worry, that's not going to happen. Um, but meditation as a daily practice, alongside our other practices of gratitude and journaling, all these mindset practices, meditation, regardless of what else, whatever else is going on, it grounds us in the now. Mm. That's what meditation is all about, because our brains can run away with themselves. We've all been in that moment where we're incredibly stressed and we're imagining the what ifs. Well, what if this goes wrong and then that goes wrong and then that goes wrong and then that goes wrong. And all before, all of a sudden, before we know it, we think that we're going to be sleeping under a bridge. Mm. You know, that's the kind of, 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 of train of thought that our, our brain can sometimes take. Whereas actually meditation just brings us right back to the moment. OK, where am I? What am I doing? Focusing on your breathing, focusing on your surroundings. And with practice and with regular daily practice, this really helps to calm our mind, to quieten ourselves and to allow ourselves to focus on what is happening right now. Because actually, the only thing that's real is what's happening right now. Mm. Everything else is maybes or possiblies. The past is the past. It doesn't exist anymore. It only exists in our brain. The future hasn't happened yet. It doesn't exist anymore. The only thing that matters is right now. And meditation is a fantastic way of grounding us in that space. Uh, I think the Headspace app has a uh, a 10-day free trial. 
find yeah. it on the app store or wherever you get your apps and you know give it a go yeah. see how you find it I've been using Headspace for about a year. Actually, more. I've been using it for about two years, but solidly for about the last year. Um, I found it incredibly useful. Um, it takes me about 10 minutes every morning. It's a guided meditation app, so it talks you through the process. Um, and that's one of the things I found with meditation is I like the idea of it, but I didn't know how to do it. Um, and the Headspace app actually talks you through the process of, of, of what you're actually supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be feeling. Uh, and I carve out 10 minutes every morning to do this. Um, I have kind of 10 minutes for, for journaling and then I have 10 minutes for that meditation. Um, and it makes the world of difference for me. I was actually running, um, when I was coming up to the um, recording of this episode, I put a poll up on Twitter, um, basically asking all the XJW community if they've tried um, any kind of meditation. Um, any kind of meditation and what their experience was of it. Now, the poll hasn't closed yet, but the current results are quite interesting. So my, my, my tweet was, poll for the XJW community, how many of you practice meditation of some form now that you're out of the tower? Um, of the responses, so far I've had 120 responses, 120 votes. 45% said, yes, and it's great. 20% said, never tried it but want to. 5% said tried it and didn't like it. And 30% said no interest in it at all. So what I would draw your attention to is that of all the people who've tried it, so 45% who've tried it, loved it. Only 5% tried it and didn't like it. And the rest haven't tried it. So most people, according to this poll, which is not scientific, which is not a not a statistically rigorous um, uh, survey, this is literally just some idiot called Covert Fade whacking a survey up on Twitter, most people who try meditation like it. And we're not necessarily talking about some esoteric thing where you set up incense and then, you know, sit in a corner of a room chanting for three hours. Um, I literally spend 10 minutes a day and it's just, for me, it's just breathing. There are multiple forms of meditation. Um, it's a wide ranging practice that has multiple disciplines and schools. So you can go really into this, or you can just do what I do, which is 10 minutes a day of mindfulness meditation. Um, but try that as a coping strategy. Um, there are many things you can do to cope, but obviously we don't want to overload you with suggestions on every podcast. So our suggestion for this particular point as a coping strategy, take up mindfulness meditation. See what it does for you. So, Alice, uh, what's the next topic? Uh, sorry, the next point on our happiness blueprint. So the next point is something that I don't think we'll necessarily spend a lot of time talking about because it's not that the, there aren't specific elements from kind of from from the XJW world. It's this fact that um, people who have a higher subjective well-being uh, report tend to have good physical health. Now, obviously, it's not a one-for-one one. it's not an automatic it's not a given there are people who are in poor physical health who are very very happy and there are people who are in very good physical health who are very unhappy mm -hmm. but generally speaking there tends to be a correlation that physical health good physical health contributes towards good mental health yeah um, and again, this is, as you were saying, that to, to some degree, this is kind of obvious. You know, if you've broken your leg, you're probably not very happy. Um, you're probably more sort of saying, ouch, call me an ambulance. Mm -hmm. um, and also there's a, there is a degree of, um, of, of brain chemistry involved in this. 
Um, you know, when you work out, when you exercise, or if you're generally healthy, your your body releases endorphins when you exercise, which is a feel-good chemical. Um, and I know that one of the suggestions, if you are feeling down or if you're feeling low, and this isn't the magical fix for it, um, but one of the suggestions is if you can work out or do some do something physical, get your endorphins flowing, you might feel a bit better. Um, and also, if, you, if you're physically healthier, you've got more options. So if you struggle to walk more than 50 meters, you've got less options in your life than someone who can, you know, walk or run a mile and not, not feel too much, too much of an impact. Um, as, as, as we've said, it's not really XJW specific. Um, this is more just a, I suppose what we could say is take care of your body, um, try and keep yourself in good, in good health. Um, it will help you. It's not going to magically make a, a, a miserable person happy. And it isn't necessarily going to make uh, a person miserable, but um, take care of your health. Watch what you eat. Get as much exercise as you can. Um, you know, you only get you only get one meat vehicle to pilot around. So invest in it a little bit. Take care of it, and um, overall, you'll probably find yourself a bit happier for doing so. Okay, so from one topic about which we can have some but not ma- we can have some control over but not complete control over to a topic which we have no control over at all. What's the next thing on the list? The next thing on the list that plays a part in our subjective well-being is our genetics, our genes. So <laughs> we have absolutely zero control over this you know thank you parents thank you grandparents thank all your ancestors there are some people who tend to be happier than others and that is just bog standard down to our genetics it's not everything you know you could you can have endless arguments about nature versus nurture you know what makes us who we are is it because of our our genes our nature or is it because of our experiences and the way that we live our life nurture um generally speaking genetics contributes towards our levels of happiness there are some people who are who tend to be happier um but again uh xjw from an xjw point of view that's not really something that that has impacted um you know the the xjw thing is not something that affects our genes but you know again it's something that if you're if there's a family history of depression or mental health you are more likely to struggle which yeah. means that if that's in your family the other points that we're talking about where you can have some control are even more important yeah and i think also the other aspect of that is if you do have a family history of mental health or depression be aware of it maybe be proactive mm. if you can if it's within your means to reach out to professional services be a bit proactive with it and also understand that maybe sometimes that that's that's in your genes so you are going to feel that so be prepared um but as you said until we start being able to completely rewire the genetic code um this is an aspect of being aware of it but maybe that means we need to focus even more on the things we can control now the next point um and I appreciate some of our listeners may disagree with this, and I think that's fine. But I think this is one rare area where some of Watchtower's teachings and some of the JW philosophy actually makes a bit of sense and actually does contribute towards a happy outlook. Um, if you want, you can put this down to the stopped clock is right twice a day phenomenon, where even if something is usually wrong, occasionally by sheer chance they strike on 
an aspect of, of wisdom. And also, I would say this, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not someone who's religious. I don't believe the Bible is inspired of God, but I do believe that human beings do over time work out things that work and that things that don't. And there is some good stuff in the Bible. Um, for example, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think, is a wonderfully um, humane and humanist piece of wisdom. Um, and there's another piece of wisdom contained in the Bible, and therefore, by extension, in some JW teachings, because they take some of their teachings from the Bible. Uh, what is that um, piece of wisdom? Well, so this next point on our subjective well-being list is people who tend to have a higher level of subjective well-being have an absence of materialist values. So essentially, they believe that the love of money does not bring happiness. Yeah. So this I found was interesting when I read it because... Correct me if I'm wrong, Alice. Uh, What we're talking about here is, are you deriving your happiness from the fact that you have that brand new car or are you deriving your happiness from other things? Because the problem with that brand new car is it can be taken away from you quite easily. You 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 might have to sacrifice a lot to get that brand new car. And at the end of the day, it's just a thing. And the things that actually make us happy on a deep fundamental level. So we're not talking about passing because I'm sure buying that brand new car will make you happy right now for a few minutes. But it isn't going to be the same kind of happiness that's built by forging meaningful relationships, by getting coping strategies, by getting an outlook on life that's positive, or by some of the other more fundamental points we're going to mean. So, and and ironically, this is one of the things I found in the JW um, religion, which actually I think is a good idea and that does benefit you, is it don't make material things the focus of your happiness. Um, Now, I enjoy material things. I actually love I love. I kind of love enjoying stuff. Um, I like new clothes. You know, I like. I like in you know grabbing sort of gadgets and gizmos. I enjoy that. I get a lot of happiness from that. You love your new podcast, Mike. I love my new podcast. I'm looking at my blue Yeti podcast mic, and I'm a little bit in love. Um, but the point is, I think that you can learn to be without them. They're not. If these things were suddenly taken away, it would not be the end of the world. Whereas if human relationships are taken away, it would be the end of the world. But if you've, if you've focused your happiness around these material things, research seems to show that these are not going to make you happy in the way they th- you think they will. Um, Alice, what do you think of that? Yeah, and there have been so many studies on this. Um, and to, to be clear... We're not talking here about extreme poverty. We're not saying that we should all be striving for extreme Mm. poverty because extreme poverty, i.e. worrying about how you're going to put food on the table, how you're going to feed your kids, how you're going to keep a house, a roof over your head, Mm. those things contribute to not being happy. So there there are levels here. So being in extreme poverty does cause unhappiness. However, having a certain level of income... Or rather, there's not an exponential increase. Mm. It doesn't necessarily equal that more money equals more happiness. There's a level around which they say the the optimum happiness is. And they reckon it's about 50 grand a year. In UK currency. In UK currency. I can't remember the name of the study, and I will try and find it and put it in the show notes. Um, But yeah, Yeah. so round about 50 grand a year. Now, obviously, it depends where you live. It depends what other, you know, your outgoings are or whatever. Around 50 grand a year tends to be the optimum return of happiness per pound that you have. Over and above that, 
The increase in income does not mean a corresponding increase in happiness. Mm. Because along with the increase in income comes more worries. You know, maybe you're worried about... So you do have things, but now you've got to worry about getting the things and keeping the things and not having the things stolen and not throwing a glass of water over your brand new laptop as I Mm. did recently. Um, So it doesn't necessarily follow that just because you have more money, you're going to have more happiness. And one of the interesting points I think when I saw this study, and I am going to track it down and put it in the show notes, is that part of this problem is that the the kind of... and, And again, this is not every single case. There will be people who have incredible amounts of wealth who are incredibly happy. But the point they were making is that it gets to a point where the amount of effort you have to put into getting it and the amount of stresses that come with that, if you think of high-pressure high jobs, for many people tend to be negative. It tends to have a negative impact on your happiness and it takes away the time for, for chasing the things that genuinely tend to make people happy. Now, this is not a one-to-one correlation. This is not the same for everybody. There will be absolutely people out there who will genuinely know the thing that makes me happy is working in my business. And I spend all my time on my business and I have a huge income, but I'm genuinely happy. I think what we're saying here is we're not saying that there's one solution for everybody. These are general trends um, that psychologists have observed. And you know yourself. Mm-hmm. That's one of the Latin, you know, that, I love that Latin phrase, know, you know, I can't remember what it is in Latin, but essentially know yourself. Mm-hmm. So you know if you're one of these people and the thing that makes me happy is working on my business and getting them. If that's you, go for it. But a lot of people tend to find that, well, as you say, being extreme poverty sucks. Having money to give you options and let you do things in life helps you be happy. But if the if you think the thing that's going to make you happy is having the most money possible and the most stuff possible, and you're neglecting the other things we're talking about, you chances are you might be in for a rude awakening mm. further down the line. And also, if you lose that stuff, if that's the linchpin of your happiness, it's you're going to be miserable. If you've made other things the linchpin of your happiness, then you can have that stuff and it's great. But if for whatever reason you lose that stuff, you still have these other pillars. Um, and so, and, and I speak as somebody who likes stuff and likes gadgets. And, you know, and I, for me, I find, I don't find money interesting just to have money, but I like, I would like the, I would like the idea of doing things that I want to do and having the life experiences and traveling and seeing mm. things. And obviously money facilitates that. So there's obviously a wider balance to be struck there. And it's, it's the kind of discussion that you can't have a black and white opinion. It's nuanced. But I very much do understand the point that if you, if you have made the acquisition of material things, the goal and focus of your life and you think that's going to make you happy well psychological studies have shown that it probably isn't Mm. what's going to make you happy is instead focusing on the things we're discussing here um and then if the other things are there as well great Mm. but you'll be able to survive the loss of material things Mm. if you have these other things in place and let's face it we live in an uncertain world We've had a financial crash in 2008. There was a Great Depression in the 1920s. Um, Many of us are living hand-to-mouth, and you might be listening to this in a country where you genuinely are struggling to to make ends meet. And if you are, then that's going to impact your happiness. But almost kind of the, 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 the positive side of it, and we're looking at the positive side, is you can find happiness despite that. There are other things you can focus on that aren't reliant on how full your house is of stuff. Mm. Um, and I, I, I'm guessing maybe that's a, a balanced way to approach that. Yeah, and I think it also comes down to thinking about what it is that that stuff or those things are going to give you. You know, the, with, with very few exceptions, there are few people in this world who want money just for the sake of having money, of seeing that, you know, that yeah. th- those l- number of zeros in their bank account. 
the wonder of money is what it can do for you, what it can give you. And so much of the time, it's not actually about the stuff that we have, it's about the experiences that we have. So it's not about having the latest iPhone, although that is a very nice thing to have. A lot of the the, the time, even if people do have lots of money, it's how they use that money. So they use it perhaps to travel, or they Mm. use it for philanthropy. They use it to help other people. And that actually contributes to our happiness more than simply having a house load of stuff because then as you say all we're focusing on is the stuff and having things for the sake of having things so it's not that money and and this is a really interesting point because this i I remember this being stressed in um in many uh meetings and talks about money Mm. because so often the bible verse is misquoted yes a lot of people misquote the bible verse and say money is the root of all evil but that's yeah. not what the Bible says. The Bi- I can't believe I'm preaching from the Bible. Should I, I, I? Oh my God! I should go and put a tea towel on my head. <laughs> I'm not permitted. Yeah, head covering when yeah. you're when you're teaching. Oh from my the God! Yeah, sister. I'm waiting for a lightning bolt to come out of heaven and strike me. Um, it's not money is the root of all evil. It's love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. Love of money for the sake of money, not what it can do for you, not what you can do with it, not about how you can use it to help you or yourself or your family, but simply mm. the love of money for the sake of having it. Yeah. So when we're thinking about what we're aspiring to... Oh, and the other thing I wanted to say just before I go on to that is that it's also, I think, perfectly natural that... We spent many, many years in a cult not potentially having the money that we wanted Mm. because further education was discouraged. And a lot of the time, not always, further education is then linked to higher paying jobs. And also don't do overtime at work. Don't don't go for that role if it's going to sacrifice your meeting time. Work part-time if you can, pioneer. So for for a long time, many of us didn't have the money that we wanted. So it's perfectly understandable that we've come out of the cult and thought, right, I'm going to fill my boots. Yeah. I'm going to go for it and I'm going to get the money, money, money. I'm going to get everything that I'm owed from all those years Mm. of denying myself. And that's a perfectly understandable reaction. But what we need to understand is that in itself is not going to fill that great big deep dark hole that we've got inside of us. We cannot fill it full of money and expect that's going to make us happy. So a really good way of looking at this is when we are planning ahead and it's perfectly fine to make a financial plan and to journal Mm. about what it is we want. Put numbers to it. I want this amount of money. I want to buy a car that costs that much. I want that much of a house. I want to give that much to charity. I've got my my yearly review coming up and my salary, I believe, should go to this. Exactly. And all those things are perfectly fine. But when we're doing it, just keep in the back of your mind, why? What's my why? Yeah. There's a really, really amazing book by a chap called Simon Sinek. And it starts with why. We'll get this in the show notes, guys. Yeah. Check out the show notes. What is our why? What's the reason for wanting that money? It's not because we want zeros in our bank account. Mm. It's because that does something for us. And think about the ultimate thing of what it does for us. If the thing it does for us means that we can walk down the road showing off our pair of brand new whatever, I know, I'm not down with the kids these You're days. You're so street, Alice. You're I, so street. I don't know. The, the latest Nike plimsolls. Showing off my brand new pair of spats as I walk no. down the street in the roaring 20s. My Nike plimsolls. <laughs> Nike plimsolls. Lovely plimsolls. Um, whatever it is. But if, it, if the only reason we want those things is because we want the adoration that comes with having those things, you know, oh, look at me. I've got the brand new iPhone and I'm showing it off in the pub because I'm a bit of a dick. You know, just because we want the adoration from other people, mm. then something is screwed. 
If we want those because it's genuinely going to give us something, that's fine. Work hard, get it. Feel the the joy of having worked hard, getting that money and getting whatever it is, whether it's a new pair of trainers or a trip around the world, whatever. But just be mindful of why you're doing it. Is it to make you happy or is it because you're trying to impress someone else? I think I'll just, closing on this point, there was a a wonderful podcast I um, listened to a while back um, from the uh, philosopher and uh, neuroscientist Sam Harris, and he interviewed somebody, and I can't remember the guy's name, this is going in the show notes, who basically spent, it's called The Lessons from the Dying, and it's interviews with people who spend all their time in hospices or with people who are dying, and they get to listen to a lot of final regrets. Um, And it was actually quite... It was sobering and quite touching because these are they've got a lot of experience of what people actually say when it's all done and dusted and it's all coming to a close. And they said all of the regrets they hear about are about relationships and experiences. Nobody lies on their deathbed apparently just lamenting that their bank account wasn't what it was. All of the regrets that people have at the end of their life are to do with their relationships that maybe didn't work out the way they wanted or the experiences in life they didn't get to have. Um, no one lies on their deathbed and says I wish I'd spent more time at work exactly so just something to keep in mind when we're we're, we're trying to work out what's going to make us happy um, and I'll put that podcast in the show notes because it's very powerful Uh, it's not not depressing it's moving but it's also very galvanising as to what we really should be focusing on in life So we're coming to our last point on the blueprint for subjective happiness. Um, So Alice, what's the purpose of life? 42. Excellent. Good. And on that that reference, for those of you who are out there who get that, we're giving you a high five right now. You are all fruity fruits who know where your towel is. Um, For those who don't get that reference and are looking at us like we've completely lost our minds... uh, Google the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. But anyway, so here we come to the final, the final ingredient on this blueprint to happiness: having a purpose. After you, Alice. I, I, I feel like we needed to stop and actually take in the weight of that moment. Not just that you managed to pack Hitchhiker's Guide into the, the galaxy <laughs> into the podcast, but also, you know. We've talked about um, social structures and being positive and coping mechanisms and, you know, materialistic values or, or lack of materialistic values. But the one thing that I think is the fun, like for, for me personally, when I think about the journey from going from being a active JW to being an ex-JW mm. and what is one of the major changes that we need to to come to terms with is that feeling of purpose. Yeah. Purpose, feeling that you're here for a reason, that there is something that you are supposed to be doing, that there is a, a, a reason for your existence. When you're a JW, you know exactly what your purpose is. Because you're told it all the time. We know where we came from. We know why we're here. We know where we're going. We know what we're supposed to do every single day. We have a purpose in life. And so many comments I've seen um, have been about people who've gone from the JW world. They've woken up. They've come out of the JW world. And it's almost like this crushing 
It, it, it's like everything falls away and your entire being, all of a sudden, there is no living forever. Mm. There is no purpose. You're facing up to the fact that at some point in the future, you will die. And then everybody who remembers you will die. And then it will be like you never existed. Gosh, this is depressing. Hang in there. I'm getting to the positive point. So it is a horrible, horrible thing to have to come to terms with. And it's the change. It's hmm. it's different for people who've never had this thought yeah. that there is this great grand purpose in life that was set in, in place by a, an all-knowing creator and we're going to live forever and that's our purpose. If people have never had it, they haven't had to lose it. But as a JW going to XJW, all of a sudden you literally look at your life and think, what the hell is the point? Hmm. And oh my God, is that big to come to terms with. Yeah. And again, it also explains why people tend to get pulled into high control religions or stay with them or they seem to feel happy. Even if we look at, you know, we, we sometimes as XJWs, we look at current JWs and think, how can you be happy? This is one aspect. They're given a purpose. If you believe that you're part of some great outworking of a, of a heavenly strategy, it actually provides you with a certain degree of happiness and contentment to be part of it. And you can see the same thing. You can you can look at extreme political ideologies that sweep people up and get them to do awful things, but they think they've got a purpose. Any of the blood-soaked regimes of the 19th and 20th centuries that had hundreds of millions of dead and death, you know, death camps running and, and oppression and poverty and malnutrition, but the people involved in it often thought they had a purpose and they were swept, they were given this purpose and they were swept into it. So this is incredibly, this is the kind of thing that can be harnessed for negative, um, but it can also be harnessed for positive because as people we tend, as, as, as this psych, as the studies have shown, people who report being subjectively happy feel they've got, they, they've got a purpose, they're here to do something. So part of us as XJWs is we need to find our own purpose in life. But kind of the good news here is that doesn't have to get dictated to you anymore you get to decide what that purpose is. Now, this is going to require effort. You can't just sit back and have someone else hand you your purpose because the reality is nothing in life comes for free and you're going to have to work at it. But this is your start of your journey of discovery and you get to decide what the purpose of your life is. Is it going to be caring for your family? Is it going to be... Um, is it going to be forwarding any particular interest that you have, be it in sports or politics or your career or in art or music? Or is your purpose going to be helping people? Are you going to get involved with charitable works? Are you going to get involved in working for activist organizations or political organizations or pressure organizations? Is your purpose in life to teach? And I don't necessarily mean teaching in a school. Are you passionate about something? Can you teach it to others? Um, <clears throat> There are so many things we can do, and the chances are, I mean, as a, as a JW, I always had things I wanted to do but felt I couldn't, and those were things that really my purpose was, and since I've left, um, I've been following that. I feel like I know what I'm here to do, and I'm, I'm doing that, and I'm finally doing it for the first time in my life. Um, so maybe, I suppose maybe it's, it's easier for some of us who leave and we think, oh yeah, I can, now I can be what I've always wanted to be. I suppose the... The difficulty comes up with someone's like, I'm not sure what I want to do. And that's the question. Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if we're talking about practical tips and tricks, what you said a few moments ago about knowing yourself. Yeah. Um, 
And one of, and I think we spoke about this in the last podcast as well, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a, a website link to what I think is a really good example of this. Because knowing ourselves is it's where everything starts. Yeah. And particularly with regard to our purpose, what are we here to do? And I don't mean here to do in some kind of, you know, karma, woo-woo mm. sort of way. I mean, what is going to satisfy our soul as in who we are? Mm. And the first step every single time is a values exercise. Every single time. Because what we get to do is we get to work out who we actually are. After years and years and years of being told who we're supposed to be, all of a sudden we get to work out who we actually are and what is important to us. Is creativity the top of our list? In which case, is our purpose to create something in Mm. some way? Is charity or philanthropy or helping others or helping our family the top of our list? In which case, our purpose might be to uh, do some charity work or work in a profession that helps others, health Mm. or or teaching or, or, or mental health or whatever it is. But as soon as we understand who we are, we can then start to understand what we're put here to do. Mm. Now, what we're put here to do might be, I am going to create a business empire. Mm. And I'm going to use that business empire to generate X amount of money that's going to mean I can look after my family, but I can also then start putting money to charity Mm. and helping other people. And maybe that's our purpose. Maybe that's what focuses us. Mm. But first of all, values exercise. Who are we? Who are we actually? Not who we were told to do. And then the next thing that gives us a sense of purpose is having goals. Once we understand who we are, we need to set goals that are really exciting. All those things, maybe as a JW, that we really wanted to do, maybe, okay, I'm going to use an example that was certainly one of my things. I wanted to travel the world. Mm. I wanted to go traveling. But obviously, as a JW, you can only go traveling if you're going to do some summer witnessing campaign, (laughs) or you're going to attend all the meetings, or you're going to go to a foreign convention, or something. But that was my thing. I wanted Mm. to go traveling. So I set myself a goal. I worked it out. And the thing when we're setting goals are uh, a lot of people will have set goals at work, but there are are certain things they need to be. They need to be specific. Mm -hmm. Get really specific. What is it? How much? How many? When? How? So not just I'm going to go traveling. It's in 12 months time, I'm going to book a plane to Indonesia and I'm going to spend three weeks traveling around Indonesia. And then on the fourth week, I'm going to go here. And I I estimate it will cost this much. So here is my plan to earn and save that much in 12 months. And this is what we're talking about. Because I want to go traveling someday is not a goal. No. That's That's a a pipe dream. dream. It's a dream. Yeah. The difference between a dream and a goal is a goal has a date. Yeah. You put a date and you get specific. And the other thing about goals is they need to be exciting. Mm-hmm. Make it something that really excites you. If your goal is not exciting, choose another goal. Yeah. It's not a goal. It needs to call exciting. to your soul. If it's not calling to your soul, and like that person might and you might be that person who's like, you know what my goal is, I want to start a business empire Mm. and that's again okay but I want to start a business empire is a very non-specific goal in 12 months time I want to have uh, got a startup which has a turnover of x x thousand pounds Mm. a month and here's my goal in my plan in the first month my plan in the second month Mm. my plan in the third month that's a goal yeah yeah 
And what you can also do as well, um, and this kind of feeds into the meditation stuff, but you can do it a number of ways. But once you've written your goal out, I want you to close your eyes and imagine that you're actually there in it. You've achieved your goal. So you're on the beach in Indonesia or you're looking at the balance sheet of your business that's been running for 12 months and it's brought you an X amount of money mm. or you've run that marathon and raised that money for charity or yeah. whatever it is. I want you to imagine that you're actually there and I want you to really hear the sounds and feel the feels. What can you see? What can you smell? What can you taste? What can you hear? Because by doing that, we will bring that goal to life and we will really start to feel that it's actually achievable for us. So it's all very well having this purpose, but if we're not doing anything to actually move towards it and fulfill it, Mm. then we might as well not have it. We work out our purpose. Who are we? What do we need to do? What are we put here to do? Again, in a non-sort of karma reincarnation sort mm. of way. And then the goal is how are we going to do it and how do the two yeah. link in? And just as a closing point, that can be difficult for XJWs because we've been spent so many years being told someone else will give us our purpose and then give us all those achievements. Well, it's not going to happen. The universe owes you nothing. Uh, your job is to carve what you want from the universe out of its cold, indifferent gaze. And that means you need to sit down, plan this out, and then work. But if you sit down and plan this out and then work, there's no reason why that can't work because it works for it works for other people. So why can't it work for you? Um, so that's the thing: whether or not you want to go back into education, whether or not your goal is just to have focus on your family. For some people, their goal might be: I want my kids to have a better life than I did. Well, that's an excellent goal, and that's completely achievable. Mm-hmm. There's this wide range, but again, you know you. And so look in the show notes, because we're going to put that values exercise in. As we said in the previous episode, once you've worked out what really makes you tick and what's important to yourself, that becomes your guiding star. And then that can lead you in, in your life as to getting to a place where you, you've spent your life on a path that you feel was fulfilling and worthwhile and that really meant something to you. So let's quickly run through these points at the end. So what was point number one on the blueprint for subjective happiness? So point number one was social cohesiveness, being part of a social group in whatever way that is. And we were talking about, you know, getting yourself to a group where you have common interests, start saying yes to things. And my challenge to you on that was the next time that you get invited to do something, even if you don't really feel like it, Say yes. Cool. What was point number two? Point number two, lack of negative emotion. The uh, inverse to that is lots of positive emotions. So practicing feeling the positive. And we talked about using gratitude in this. And if you haven't already, pick up your phone. This is the fourth time we're telling you now. (laughs) Pick up your phone and set yourself a gratitude alarm. And when that alarm goes off every single day, list out three things you're grateful for. Point number three. Point number three was coping. Coping mechanisms. So important to deal with the stresses and strains of life. And our little top tip for that, I think, was from you. Uh, What was my top tip? (laughs) It was so important, folks, that Covert has now actually forgotten what his top tip was. Uh, I think it was meditation. (laughs) You see, it helps the long-term memory. Yeah, yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, it's really working for you. you. You're a great advert. Yeah. So my top tip for that was meditation. So whether or not that's the, uh, you download an app, whether or not that's you seek out a a group for meditation, so guided meditation, whether or not that's you just start your own path and your own journey onto whatever form of meditation you you decide. 
I would advise looking into it because it's been a huge help for me um, and it's been a huge help for judging from my Twitter poll from many XJWs who've looked into this. So mm. try meditation. Mm. Watchtower was lying. It's awesome. I haven't come across a single demon while I've been meditating. No. Which really, I'm kind of disappointed by. They're really... Demons are so lax. I'll tell you, you can't get the demons these days. They're just kind of like, oh, so I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll haunt your house tomorrow. I'm yeah. just, you know, I'm bored. It's disappointing. I mean, yeah. they really need to consider their life goals. Yeah. What's the next point? Uh, well, I'm going to lump the next two in on the basis that they're sort of nice to know. There was general physical health. People who have general physical health tend to have a higher happiness quotient mm -hmm. and genetics which unfortunately we can't do anything about which makes all the other stuff that much more important cool so take the stairs and not the escalator and just be aware if you've got a history in the family of, of depression or other things and maybe be a bit proactive with your your, your own mental health mm -hmm. practitioners and what's the next point the next point was materialism. As we know, it's not money that is the root of all evil, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So money is not a bad thing, but just always be conscious. If you're striving for more money, what is it for? Why do you want it? What's it gonna give you? And make sure that it's giving you what you want, not just because you want to buy the thing to impress somebody else. Cool. In other words, be in control of the stuff. Don't let the stuff be in control of you. Oh, I'm going to write that down. And what's the next point on the list? And then the final was this major one, which is purpose. You leave the JW community. So many people feel they've lost their purpose. Find yours again. Get that values exercise. I think I've talked about values exercise so many times on this podcast. I honestly swear by it. Get that values exercise sorted. Find out who you are. Find out what's important to you. And then put a plan in place to move towards it. So there you have it, folks. That's a quick bullet run through of a uh, blueprint to subjective happiness. So some things to think about. Um, as always with anything on the podcast, we advocate the Bruce Lee philosophy of, uh, you know, try try everything. Um, adopt what is useful, discard what is useless, and create something which is uniquely your own. So have a look at those suggestions, give them a try, and adopt what works for you. Okay, so now it's time for a listener question, and this comes into us today from XJW Activist on Twitter. That's at XJW Activist. Um, and he writes in with the following question. Do you think it's possible to be fully immersed in XJW activism and still be able to overcome the feelings of bitterness and anger against the religion? I've been out of the religion for over a decade, yet I still find myself being overcome with these feelings when I am regularly engaged in activism, which naturally involves seeing on a day-to-day -day basis what Watchtower is up to. I'd like to reach a stage where the bitterness doesn't consume me, yet I still want to feel motivated to take part in online activism, which I get good responses from. Thanks for the show. All your work and effort is valued. So that's a question from XJW Activist. So that's an interesting question. How do you engage in activism against Watchtower where you're daily seeing being reminded of how damaging and harmful this organisation is without becoming overwhelmed with bitterness. He still wants to feel motivated to, you know, to take to be involved in this, because activism mm. does take energy out of you. He still wants that motivation, but he doesn't want to be consumed by bitterness by what he constantly sees from Watchtower. So 
what suggestions do we have? Because this this is a great question, by the way, and this is kind of I think something a, a lot of people who are involved in activism tend to tend to wonder, mm. um, and I know I have. I've I've kind of had to juggle this. So, what do you think, Alice? What would you suggest? Well, I mean, first of all, yeah, I do think this is a great question, um, and I think it's something that sometimes gets levelled at activists quite a lot. Um, and certainly a lot of comments I've seen, you know, I've had a few directed at me, but not particularly. But what I've seen for other activists is this comment of, you know, let it go. Why are you still engaged in this? And why are you still, you know, railing against the, the JW organisation? If you've left, why can't you let it go? <clears throat> and I think it goes to, the, to, to, to this idea that as XJWs who found a voice, we want to be involved. We spent so many years being um, not being able to speak freely, hmm. but now we have that ability. It's almost, you know, you can't shut some of us up, for goodness sake. <laughs> so I totally understand that people want to be involved in, in activism. And certainly when we're thinking about a full-rounded life... I'm only relatively recently involved in activism, only the last sort of 18 months to two years. Mm. And I certainly feel like it adds to my life mm. because it's almost an acknowledgement of what was a massive part of my life. I spent mm. the best part of a decade trying to forget about it. And I reached a point where I realized that I couldn't because mm. it was so ingrained in me that I needed to do something. However, what I love about this question is it identifies something that I think so many activists feel, which is, we're putting ourselves back in that position where we've got this, we've got, not only have we got the stuff from the organisation, which is, we can now, as I say, we now see the man behind the curtain. Mm. So we can see it for what it is. But also we've got the online noise and the arguments and the discussions and conversations with current JWs about, you know, not being able to get through to them and, and seeing what this organisation is doing to our friends and our family. Mm. And especially if we're being shunned, you know, that level of bitterness and, and, and negative emotion towards a, an organisation that even though, and I think maybe this is a, a key point of the bitterness, is that we've left mm. and yet they still have some form of a hold on us mm. to a greater or lesser extent. So I totally get the bitterness and, you know, and I think we've all, we've all been there and I think it's a really, really honest question. Yeah. I think one of the ways of addressing this, um, he actually kind of mentions it in his question, is um, being overcome with these feelings. Um, I think part of, part of the solution to this is having a rounded life. Mm. I think if your entire life is revolved around being an XJW activist, all you're going to encounter is... The constant thing you're going to be constantly, it's all about Watchtower, what Watchtower did and what Watchtower is doing and that ongoing struggle. And let's face it, activism is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Watchtower isn't going anywhere. I can quite see that over a period of you know years or decades, it's going to dwindle. But it's not. there's not going to be like some magic bullet that comes in tomorrow and gets rid of Watchtower and suddenly makes everything okay. It's not going to happen. So... We've spent, and in a way, as, as, as JWs, we've spent so many time, so much time with Watchtower dominating our life. I think part of the danger is to let Watchtower continue to dominate our life once we've left. And that might seem strange for an activist to say, because you might think, well, covert fade, don't you spend all your time on Watchtower? <laughs> no. Mm -mm. No, I don't. I Don't get me wrong, I spend quite a bit of time doing this. Um, there's a lot of effort and a lot of energy that goes into doing podcasts and activism and everything else. But I have a career. 
Um, I have interests. I have hobbies. I have friends who have no relation, no no uh, no awareness of Jehovah's Witnesses at all. I have huge amounts of my life that don't even touch Watchtower, and I'm actively building those parts of my life. And as I go forward in life, I'm hoping that those parts of my life will become more and more so. Um, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to quit activism anytime soon, but it means I'm not defined by being an XJW activist. So one of the things, um, and, and again, I'm not saying I'm this model activist or anything like that. I'm, I'm learning as I go. But just from my own experience, I found that building out the rest of my life, making kind of what we were talking about on this podcast today, that, that blueprint for happiness, working on that blueprint for happiness starts to mean that you're spending less time on these negative emotions and feelings. And you, you will feel that. Part of being involved in XJW activism is you are going to have to confront the nastiness and you are going to have to deal with it. But if you have an entire other part of your life that is growing and doing well and that you're building up, it helps you to keep that those negative emotions in their place. Mm. You will feel them, but they won't consume you as much. So what I would personally suggest is don't necessarily quit activism quit activism you know stay involved in activism but really make an effort to build up the rest of your life and maybe you might need to if you're thinking well i spend so much time involved in activism i don't have the time to build up the rest of my life well you need to scale but that time back you need to rebalance because um i i I mean i know full-time activists um they work incredibly hard but even full-time activists they have families they have friends they don't Every single waking moment of their life is not spent focusing on Watchtower. They have other things they enjoy doing as well. They have downtime. They have other interests. So I think the key is getting that balanced, well-rounded life and really build up the part of your life that doesn't revolve around Watchtower. Um, That would be my suggestion to help keep that bitterness and anger Mm. under control. Yeah. And what something that i think is really great and you do this quite a lot on twitter actually is you take weekends off quite a lot of time on a friday afternoon you will post a tweet that essentially says that's it i'm out of here i've got a life to lead and i'm gonna go and bloody well lead it and you know there's something really positive about that And, and again it comes to the idea of rather than focusing on taking away the negative it's about building the positive. Yes. So it's about replacing those posi- those negative emotions. From a really practical point of view, when we're thinking about life balance, I've got an exercise for you. You know me, I've always got an exercise for you, okay? If we want to actually see what a balanced life looks like, grab yourself a pen and paper, which is the start to all of my exercises, <laughs> I know. Grab yourself a pen and paper and draw a massive square on your piece of paper. And then I want you to divide that square into nine little squares. And that means basically divide it into three horizontally and divide it into three vertically. Like a tic-tac-toe. Like a tic-tac-toe, exactly. So you've now got a box in front of you that has nine squares in it. In each of those nine squares, I want you to write one part of your life. And JW activism is one. So you're going to have potentially family, social, finance, uh, hobbies, um, charity, JW activism, um, philanthropy, pizza, pizza, health, sport, Mm. training for a marathon, um, writing a book. I want you to put all those different things into that grid. 
And what you then see is that actually, if you think about the fact that, you know, we've got however many hours of a day, if we've got career in there, then career takes up quite a lot of our day. And we've then got to fit all those other bits into our downtime, our family, our friends, our social life, our activism, our hobbies, time for us, self-care, meditation, da-di-da-di-da. We've got to be able to fit all of those other parts in. And what that means, actually, is if we're going to give all of those things an equal footing, then the amount of time and effort that we spend on our activism work doesn't necessarily mean that maybe from a time point of view we spend any less, but the mental energy that we devote to our JW activism should be on an equal par with all of those other things that are important to us. And it's key that it's important to us. What's important to one person is not going to be important to another. But we need to make sure that we have a balanced, full, rounded life. And one way of doing that is actually writing down all the things that are important to us and visually looking at it and saying, okay, JW activism is important to me, Mm. but so is all these other things. Yeah. So I think that's, we've got a practical exercise there. And, and again, everyone's different. Mm. So obviously, um, I think maybe the other thing is you meant, you mentioned XGW activist in your, in your letter that you do find like the reactions and the interactions of XGW activism rewarding. So maybe there's a way for you to focus more on the positive results of your activism and less on the pain that you see um, Watchtower causing. So if you've helped somebody... Focus on the fact you've helped them and less on the fact of what Watchtower did to them. Mm. Uh, we talk a lot about mindset and how you frame things. So that might be something else you can do. Is Because I think sometimes the temptation is, oh, we still haven't got that magic bullet that's taken, you know, removed Watchtower and set everyone free. Well, think about how many people have left. If you've just got one message from someone you've helped or an XJW who said, you've really helped me today. Really, that's what this is about. In real terms, it's never going to be about that one thing we do which makes Watchtower magically vanish. Mm. But it is going to be about the fact that we've helped an XJW get through the day or we've helped another JW comes to us and says, you know, I, I, used, to, I used to be a witness and I read this and you guys have kind of helped mm. set me free. Those are the real victories. Mm. Um, and I think there's a really lovely phrase. One person can't change the world but you can change the world for one person. Mm. So as activists, it's very unlikely that any one individual of us is going to bring Watchtower down. In fact, Mm. I'm saying it's unlikely. It's not going to happen. We are not going to be able to bring Watchtower down. So what you've just said there about focusing on the things that we can do, rather than focusing on this great big horrible organisation and all the horribleness that they've done, and don't get me wrong, it's important for that to be pulled up and it's Mm. important for us to be aware of all of that, but maybe focusing on the individual stories. We can't change the world, but we can change the world for one person. We can turn somebody's entire life around. We can be that listening ear. We can be that one person that understood them and knew what they were going through right at that critical Mm. moment. And that's a powerful thing. Well, it's that that's that wonderful story of uh, an old man sees a young child. He sees a young child on a beach and there's hundreds of starfish that have been washed ashore. And the young child is gradually, he's going to each starfish and trying to put it back. And the old man says to him, but there's thousands of them. You're never going to be able to put them all back. And the little kid says, yeah, but I can, I can put this one back. And I can put this one back. So that's that's the way to look at this, is, is one of the other things we can maybe do is if we're feeling understandably overwhelmed by the bitterness and anger is to rather focus on the the people we can help and the positive we can do 
Um, and again, you know, what we were talking about earlier in the podcast, the gratitude. Yes. You know, yes, it's a horrible, horrible thing. People are still trapped in there. People are suffering. But we're out. Mm. We've got our lives back. We have the opportunity to make our lives whatever we want to do. And we have a choice to use our time to helping others. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And let's be grateful for that. Let's give ourselves some credit for that. Mm. And focusing on that gratitude of what we can do and what we do have can go just a little bit of a way to to addressing the understandable bitterness and anger that comes with the situation that we find ourselves in. Yeah. So I hope that was useful, actually, W Activist. I think this is a subject we are going to return to because there's probably a lot more that could be talked about on it. And I know that we're um, we're probably just scratching the surface. But to summarise, basically try and have that balanced life that Alice spoke about um, and build out those parts, build, basically build out those those parts of happiness that we spoke about in this um, in this podcast. Um, and the more we focus on that... the, the those feelings of bitterness and anger won't vanish, but they will become more balanced mm-hmm. and we will be able to take some time away from them. And the key about negative emotions as well, and this is something that's actually really, really important to understand. If we focus on removing a negative emotion, our brain doesn't understand that concept. Our brain works in terms of absolutes. So if we focus on removing a negative emotion, the brain simply knows that we're focusing on a negative emotion. That's all it hears. Whereas if we replace it with a positive emotion, so give up the focus on trying to get away from something and Mm. build the positive. Our brain doesn't understand the difference between not wanting something and wanting something. All it knows is that we're focusing on something Ah, negative. Whereas, okay, yeah, I'm feeling bitter. Gratitude, let's feel positive. Focus on the positive and replace those negative emotions rather than trying to erase them. Because if we try to erase them, we're focusing on them and we're leaving a gap. Mm. The the, the brain doesn't like a gap. It wants something good in there. It wants something positive in there to replace that negative. Cool. So that brings us to the end of uh, this week's forecast. So thank you for joining us, Alice. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And we'll catch you guys on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you found this podcast useful, there are many ways you can support it. You can share the podcast on social media. You can give us reviews and star ratings on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, or any other place where you listen to the podcast. And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, and all the usual podcast outlets. If you have a question for us, you can contact us at jwforwardcast at gmail.com. And thank you to everyone who's already submitted questions to us. They really help us to enhance the show. You can also support us financially on Patreon at patreon slash covertfade. And thank you so much to those who've already donated. Your kind support helps us to do more and reach further. So remember, you only get one life. So work out what kind of a life you want it to be, make a plan, put that plan into action, and start living it now.